We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Steve with Sense of Deadly. I'm coming at you with uh, eh, another challenge. Did it last year, the October challenge. I think I did it in maybe the first week of October, so it wasn't exactly prepping anybody well for my part. Mea culpa. So anyway, let me go ahead. I've, I've had these on an email saves for <laughs> under bad links, bad news links, for quite some time. So I figured I'd go ahead and bust this out. One, because I was on a uh, the local uh, diocese uh, radio channel asked me to start doing a show with the Sense of Fidelium Hour of starting a prime time on Tuesday. It's no kidding. The, ah, you're, <laughs> this guy is on prime time in, diocese, in the diocese of Charlotte. Uh, yeah, so hopefully it wasn't bad. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Three chairs for joy. Anyway, trying to infiltrate in a way. In a sense, not just in a good in a good way. A lot of and most of the priests here they love the channel, so I'm not worried about that. We'll see how the people like it. Uh, it's obviously a little different than pretty much all the others that you're probably going to have on, but different is good. Anyways, me all right, time for me to be quiet. So, anyways, the whole point of this, the challenge. Okay, it's bad out there. Everybody knows it's bad. Let's go on with some things that you may not have heard of. Especially, let's recap the last year or two. And if you watch Clown Planet, any you know what I'm talking about. So hopefully, if you haven't watched Clown Planet, go do it uh, afterwards. Go check it out, and you'll see what I'm talking about on the level. Because obviously, I'm not going to get into all of it. Sometimes I'll do two-hour shows twice a week. Sometimes just one, one day a week. Sometimes it's one hour twice a week. You see news from the pew, a new show I'm doing. We go over the same things, not the same things I'm bringing up on Clown Planet because it would get us kicked off, but in a different perspective and different stories. Here, Tennessee Diocese to offer a Vax Booster Clinic at Cathedral Hall. Warns, warns, the centers will be arrested. Think about it now. You know where it's going on right now. This is Diocese of Knoxville, Tennessee. Planning to host a clinic in the Cathedral Hall for ages 12 and up. Warned of concerned parishioners that if she shares facts on campus, she will be arrested for trespassing. Now, how many people you know went to Mass and got kicked out for not wearing a muzzle you know i'm at i was at a hospital my you know everyone knows my uh, third baby got born Bill grass thanks for all the people that come in and said said thanks and, you know, congrats and all this i had three cops come to our room the third i had to go long story we got there i had we had to find child care uh, we had to leave i had to leave at two 
because the person was leaving, uh, watching at the kid at the time was leaving. It was it two or three, two or three. It was. A, it's been a long few days. So I left the hospital to drive 30 minutes to go to our house to pick up the kids, drive to a friend's house. Thanks be to God, we had, we had the Fronties were able to take care of us uh, for that time, and then drive back over there, back to the hospital 30 minutes further, 30 minutes away again, big triangle, to get to the delivery, you know, the scheduled C-section, and then. Afterwards, go back up to the front, get the kids, come back to the hospital, and then watch the kids uh, uh, see the baby for the first time, and then take the kids home. So it's it's a lot of driving, and a lot of unfortunately, a lot of times having to go through the hospital. So the first time I went in, I didn't wear anything, and me being me, you know how I treat it. And then the next time I go in, you see me on the show. I'll put the muzzles all over the place. I had nine of them. I, the the Karens hated me. A lot of people love it, even without it. When I did it the first time, people were applauding. They didn't want to, they, they, they were on my side. Third time, I made a joke at the front. Lady sent the cops out to the door. I'm holding the baby, 24 years, 24 months old, 24 hours old. And they, I even caught the cop lying to me. You know, security guards, we're cops. They lied, one lied to me. I actually told them, authoritarians lie. This is 2022. In August 2020, I walked through that same hospital like this. Nobody said it worked, except for the front, you know, the front desk fascists out there. They have the thing on your reader and all the legals. Why are you so upset? I go, you don't want me to answer that. But the rest of the time, no one said a word to me. This time, it was fun. Even the front desk, the, the nurses at the uh, baby, uh, uh, the, the baby nurses, they were dying. They were peeing themselves laughing so hard. It was hysterical. They were just loving that somebody was doing something about that. So in a sense, what we need is people, leader, men. You see the great news in Italy. Awesome! What happened out there? I think she may be one of us. I, was, and I don't. I think she's Catholic. When the odds are pretty high in our favor on that. Where's the men? Where's the Italian men leading the charge? Maybe it's a. Maybe it was good strategy-wise for a woman at that time because you can't get called misogynist and that whole uh, you know the you know the, the attack against manhood. Well, where are the men in that? Anyways, you know. But anyway, I'm just thinking. You know, it's bad out there. It's going to get worse. You're watching like that clown planet. Again, they didn't come up to my you know room just to see the baby. They were giving me a hard time and was threatening to kick me out. And I would have, you know, I would have gladly pulled out the phone and made them famous. <laughs> you know, it wasn't when I'm arguing. I don't think like the you see the guys on the street pulling out the phones and recording everything. It's just not me. It's fight or flight, and I'm fighting either verbally or what. So I'm not thinking about hey, I need to pull a phone out to start doing it. But the thought ran across my mind afterwards or towards the end. You know, if you're gonna escort me out, we're gonna we're gonna video this part. It's gonna be great. <laughs> they didn't do it, especially since I had the arguments because they, were, they I was calling around saying the cop, the other cops aren't wearing and all that. And none of them were. Anyway, so this this went on. March twenty second, twenty nineteen. Catholic churches in France vandalized, set on fire, and smeared with excrement. I think there was a site where there was a uh, was it thirty. No, not 30, 100. Maybe 100 churches in France were burnt uh, that year, uh, 2019, 2020. I can't remember the exact number. Here's Bishop Lopsinger forbids Spanish and French as Diocese of LA. Now, I don't know how big, you know, I'm sure it's a you know uh, big Spanish population in LA. I've only been there once to go through the airport, but uh, I know of it. I mean, I didn't know how big French was there, but that's for confession and last rites. So if a Spanish-speaking person goes to the confession, they're not going to get it 
and Spanish, obviously, is okay. That's that's not good for the Spanish-speaking people. And again, this is 2020, 2022 of February 11th. I don't know if you, people saw this. Landmass Omaha, uh, well, not Landmass Omaha, uh, Montana. Bishop Vetter cancels all 1962 land masses in Diocese Atlanta, Atlanta. And in my stopping grounds, we had, you know, and many of yours, you know that the pre-55 wasn't held in many places or, you know, taken away. And some sacraments, and de depends on the diocese, uh, are gone because of traditionalist custodis, TC, if you're nasty. Uh, you know, the motu proprio, the infamous motu proprio. I'll get back to this one. Chicago. If you've seen Cloud Planet, you've seen this. For years, Catholics across the city and suburbs have been learning that their parish is merging or closing altogether. Critics say Cardinal Blaise Stupich's program called Renew My Church is just the opposite. Shocker. <laughs> Renew My Church, we're closing. Listen to what one priest said. He says, oh, we come in more missionary. Wait a minute, if you come in more missionary, wouldn't you be trying to grow the parish? The latest on where this all stands now for Marianne Ahern. Marianne. Allison, here are the challenges. Far fewer priests, less people in the pews, as well as donations are down. Then throw in church buildings that need repair, and the Chicago Archdiocese says it had to take on big changes. Do you feel nobody's leading you? Part of the church was always to lead. Renetta Grissick's parish, Our Lady of Victory, closed last November after more than 115 years on the northwest side. The Archdiocese's major downsizing means that while there were 344 parishes in 2018, by July 1st, there will be just 221. Father Jason Malov is the spokesman for Cardinal Blaise Supage's initiative, Renew My Church. We're becoming much more mission-centered. That is, You have to gaslight people to figure this out. And he's the spokesman. What, what that means is propagandist. <laughs> Just put a spin on this. For sure. I get it. But this is a very big campus. And the big question is, why was this one selected to be closed? On the south side, there's a Verrunt sign at Corpus Christi's former school. That parish closed as well. A major factor for the downsizing. In 1975, the archdiocese had 2,400 priests. That included diocesan, religious order, and retired priests. Today, there are just under 1,200. As the parishes merge, they are often given new names. Chicago Catholics, though, have often identified themselves by... What parish are you from? What about that? Will people in Chicago still say that? We are such a parochial church, absolutely. We know where we grew up, but how the collective people call themselves, that certainly is going to take a lot of time to get used to. There will be 57 churches that will no longer be used for Mass. Not just what happens to those buildings, Ward Miller from Preservation Chicago notes. It's a community center, it's the food pantries, it's, it's you know, counseling, it's child care. Let's get our foundation firm, reintroducing people to Jesus after that. The mergers, they're almost finished. And as you heard from Father Jason, rather than a parish in every neighborhood, the archdiocese will be more mission-centered. Marianne Ahern. And, and somehow that's a good thing? I, I'm I'm confused. Change is difficult. Cincinnati Archdiocese launches shakeup that reaches almost every parish. This is last year, October first, twenty twenty-one. Almost a year, to, almost a year to the date. 
The Archdiocese of Cincinnati on Friday launched one of the most ambitious reorganizations in its 200-year history, potentially changing when, when and where almost half million Catholics attend Mass, school, and other activities connected to their faith. Known as Beacons of Light, the restructuring process will combine the Archdiocese's 208 parishes into 60 families of parishes. 200, 208 parishes, I don't know if I just messed that up a minute ago, 208 into 60, which will begin sharing priests and resources as early as next year. My mom's from Cincinnati, and I've been up there quite a few times, and I remember, you can't go. It's almost, it's a kind of a joke. If you do the, you know, sign across when you go past parishes, you know, you should be pretty doing that, just recognizing the Blessed Sacrament of Real Presence there. The joke is, well, if I do that up in Cincinnati, it's, you'll be doing that every corner. There's literally almost a, per, a parish almost every other corner. 208 parishes in the 60. The goal, officials say, is to eventually unite the 60 new parish families into single parishes. Mergers of such magnitude, which could take years to complete, would eliminate more than 70% of the parishes that exist today, transforming the archdiocese and setting the stage for possible closures of church and schools possible. Archdiocese, here's, here's the archdiocese right here. Uh, we're very sensitive to the fact that change is difficult. That's, that's just, <laughs> that's just a little bit of it. You're getting rid of 70%. Eight parishes remain, will remain on their own. They include large suburban parishes, such as Community of Good Shepherd in Montgomery, large urban parishes, such as Holy Family. I think that's the fraternity parish in Dayton. I've been to that. Dayton, I mean, that area is just almost like people left. It'd be great if, like, John Senor style, people would just come to that parish, live in that area, and just transform that downtown section. Uh, I think it's right by the University of Dayton. And more isolated parish with no easy geographical match, such as, such as John the Baptist and Harrison. <sighs> the beacon of light. It's not focused on closing parishes at all, Schur says. We want these families of parishes to work together and over time access their needs. They're closing 70% of the parishes. So, you want to look at it, read this, it's a... Uh, yeah, as the Archdiocese of Cincinnati is, isn't alone in confronting the decline in number of priests. If you've, everybody that's listening to this knows of this stuff. It's been a decline. The springtime that never happened. This was back this was February 9th, 2022. I'm just going to uh, mute it because I don't want you to hear the Muslim demonic prayers in St. Sulpice, Ottawa. Ottawa Church cancels mass for fear of trucker unrest, but admits they're well-behaved. <laughs> U.S. Bishop forbids priests to say mass facing tabernacle, bans communion rails. Pro-LGBT U.S. Bishop bans ad orientum liturgy, says land mass goes against church unity. You, you all know these arguments. You know, you know what to say about this just happened yesterday. Father Rowe in Perth, Australia. You no doubt would have heard about the decree released by Archbishop Costello on Monday and also would know about all the heartache and distress it has caused all of us here at St Anne's. Now it's vital for the future of the Latin Mass in St Anne's 
that anyone who has been harmed by this decree assume their canonical right to petition Archbishop Costello. The community now has the primary responsibility to take leadership in preserving the life and worship of all who come here to St Anne's and will become part of the community as well in the future. Father Limborn and I remain constant in our desire to serve you as faithfully as priests as we can and accompany you in fostering your spiritual welfare. And both of us will also write a petition recourse to the bishop. Now it's important of course in any recourse to keep it respectful to the facts and of course it is not an attack on the Archbishop. Having said that, he as you know has never come to visit us although he has been invited. But this recourse is our chance to tell him who we are, what we are about and how we cherish the Latin Mass, the sacraments and our community life here at St Anne's. Up to this point, I have battled for the past four years doing as much as I can to protect St Anne's. But now I need you to step up and do your part. I can't do any more. I've done everything I could. Otherwise there is the chance that we will lose everything that we've worked so hard for for the past 10 years since we came here in 2010. So please go to the tables after Mass to write a letter. If you don't have time, please take a draft with instructions to write later. But because it's a canonical recourse, it must be in by next Friday, the 30th of September. Father Limborn is taking all the letters today uh, to the church office on Tuesday. So if you write your letter today, you can leave it there and they'll put it in an envelope and it'll be taken in personally by Father Limborn on Tuesday. The letter doesn't have to say as much. I've got a letter here. There are two things that I've mentioned. Uh, one a sheet explaining about it and the actual draft for the recourse. And I read this one written by Giulia Graziani. Now, Giulia is four years old. And she just wrote this, which Father Limborn said was better than all his canonical knowledge of 10 years study. She just wrote, please keep the mass at St Anne's. I love coming to mass, thank you. Signed, Juliet Graziani, four years old. Perhaps our little letters won't be like that, but Father Limborn thought that that was better than even his canonical knowledge could write. So the future of St Anne's and the Latin Mass depends upon each one of you here in this church today. So please keep all of this in your prayers and following of the Holy Mass and pray for it on the pilgrimage tomorrow. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. So you've heard that, I mean, you may not have heard that, but you've heard similar stuff in DC. Uh, who else has it? Uh, 
Well, that, definitely DC was the main one that the big one that hit everyone. Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia. The it's late. It's eleven thirty. Virginia was another one. Burnt Church, Blessed Sacrament found. St. Mary's Church in Nachang, uh, in Cameroon, was burnt down by criminals on 16 September. They kidnapped five priests, a sister, and lay people to demand a ransom. Uh, the bishop visited the place and found a ciborium with the consecrated host. It was intact. A video released uh, by aid to the church in need showing following, uh, the bishop opening the tabernacle, prostrating himself and removing the ciborium. Last week, if you watch Clown Planet, uh, when, would I, when did I do that? Saturday? Late Saturday night? It came out Sunday morning, but I did it late Saturday. It just takes a while for it to upload. You know, the Holy Father did this big assisty thing. We talked about environmentalism for a few days. And if you saw the tweets, it was just, it was the World Economic Forum stuff ad nauseum. You've seen it. If you're not, if you know what you're, if you've seen it before, if you heard what I've been talking about on it, it wasn't shocking. It didn't shock me one bit when I saw it. It was just sad to see it. Um, this happened on the 12th of September. This is a transhumanism executive order. It is frightening that right, Biden did this. There's a lot of weird stuff that's going to come down the pipe if we continue down this path. Uh, again, if you go on Clown Planet, I talk about this for quite some time. I have links on it where guys talk for an hour or more about it. And like uh, one guy, I won't put his name out because he might get flagged. Uh, he goes into it well for about an hour. Check it out. It's in their show notes. But, yeah, this is, if you're in the United States, this has happened. If you're in really any uh, land, this is happening. This is going to be happening to you. I just saw a couple other stories. Just weird. Wow, just wackadoo. If you would have said five years ago that this was going on, you would laugh in your face. They're going after the food supply. And when they get rid of the food supply, you'll be eating those fake meats. You may even be eating the bugs after they get rid of it. By the time you're hungry, if you're not making, you know, growing your own food, you will eat that fake stuff. Funny that actually when he got done with this, he ended up doing a, th a, a, a Q&A basically. And he was talking about, uh, he was saying stuff that if you watched I Am Legend, it's based on, that movie is literally based on that topic. You know, curing cancer and things like this. Yeah, 
this is happening. A little bright spot in Italy, uh, Georgia, Georgia, uh, she won. Where's the Ben? Great, that was fantastic that she won. I'm not going out saying vote harder, but in Italy, that's thinking locally, acting locally. You know, it's, you know, it would be great to see Italy broken up into different, you know, things instead of being nationalized. Like, but that's what it is now. But playing the playing the game that they got right now, great on Georgia. Yay, seventy percent of people voted for her, <laughs> and they're calling it anti-democratic when it's only anti-democratic when they don't when you vote wrong, basically. So hey, good on them. Again, where's the men? For a while, I brought that up in our chat, so I can't take all the credit for that. I take any credit for that. He brought it. That's great. You know, where's the men in Italy? And my bud Arrington said, if you see the men in Italy, you would know why. So I guess it's pretty bad out there. I've never been to Italy. So with all that, you remember my good Jocko Willing video that I like so much. One of my direct subordinates, one of my guys that worked for me, he would he would call me up or pull me aside with some major problem, some issue that was going on. And he'd say, boss, we got this and that and the other thing. And I'd look at him and I'd say, good. And finally, one day he was telling me about some issue that he was having, some problem. And he said, I already know what you're going to say. And I said, well, what am I going to say? He said, you're going to say good. He said, that's what you always say. When something is wrong and going bad, you always just look at me and say good. And I said, well, yeah. When things are going bad, there's going to be some good that's going to come from it. Didn't get the new high-speed gear we wanted? Good. Didn't get promoted? Good. More time to get better. Oh, mission got canceled? Good. We can focus on another one. Didn't get funded? Didn't get the job you wanted? Got injured? Sprained my ankle? Got tapped out? Good. Got beat? Good. Unexpected problems? Good. We have the opportunity to figure out a solution. That's it. When things are going bad, don't get all bummed out, don't get startled, don't get frustrated. If you can say the word good, guess what? It means you're still alive. It means you're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, well, then hell, you still got some fight left in you. So get up, dust off, reload, recalibrate, re-engage, and go out on the attack. So yeah, it's down. And Jocko said, good. Three cheers for joy. Bishop... Vietnam. We talked about this before. St. Theophane Bernard, his bishop. All the priests were getting killed. His bishop had a slogan, three cheers for joy anyways. St. Theophane was dying. He thought he was dying. Three cheers for joy, he said on his, thought it was his deathbed. When things got hard, you started looking for something to blame. Like a big shadow. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody 
is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Remember we did that uh, another, it was a Jocko interview. And he was talking about what's the worst feeling in a war. And he said that was when an ordinance was fired off. And you're just sitting there waiting. He goes, talk to all these military. He said, how many podcasts does with all these military guys? And he, I don't know if he asks them all the time, but the worst feeling they always say is when that ordinance was fired off, where was that thing going to land? And he said in that good one, to engage. Again, most of us, we sit back and wait for that bomb to hit, and then we clear out the, land, the mess afterwards. We're rarely on the offensive. We're rarely fighting back. Well... You know, we might fight back with a blog or a tweet or a video or a blog spot, you know, video blog, vid, vlog or whatever you call it. But are we doing the stuff, the hard stuff and the hard stuff that nobody knows about? Just like when people, I heard Father Abernathy, who actually meant in this, if you he, if he heard, if you he listen to any of the Ladder Divine Ascent uh, series that he's doing, which fantastic series. So glad somebody's doing it. So glad he's doing it. Uh, Father Matlack, a priest friend of mine, he said he's he's one of the best of the church fathers that he knows. And he mentions, you know, was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago, that he goes, maybe God's, he goes, Rome's taking away things from people right now. He goes, maybe that's like uh, getting a slap across the face, waking us up. Maybe God's trying to wake us up by slapping us across the face. You know, because God is in control. He is still God. He is still head of the church. He's still, you know, the, things happen on his watch. He's allowing things to happen. And he goes, maybe something like, uh, uh, it's like throwing cold water on you, waking you up in a sense. We need, and he goes, we need to be woken up. We need to be fire. We need to be the salt of the earth. And he mentions how something, uh, what I think he said is salt and back in those days was used in the furnace and out line up the walls of the furnace. And to help bring up, bring in heat, heat it up more. And he said when it got, when it was used up and it old and it got worthless anymore, they literally threw it on the street for it to be trodden on. So where's our heat? Where's our fire? It's that whole line of uh, heretics are zealous, whereas Catholics are lazy. I mean, uh, you see that in the pro-life thing right now. We're getting slaughtered in the state level. And look what they're trying to bring back to the federal. It's on Clown Plans, on NFP, News from NFP. We talk about that. Or my opinions on why that's happening. Uh, he also brings up, you know, like I said, God is in control. If God can tolerate this, can you, can we, can me, can I, can we, are we better than God? You know, we never think about, you know, the gates of hell will not prevail. Do we actually believe that? Or is it just a bumper sticker? Padre Pio, St. Pio's feast day was a couple days ago. You know, the whole line, love, uh, pray, hope, don't worry. Do we believe that? Or again, is that just a bumper sticker? I know people that will tell their friends or loved ones or you know, relatives, you know, hey, Pio, pray, hope, and don't worry. And not an hour later, they're worried. Those same people, you might know them. You might have actually done that. It's hard. When the tough kid, when the rubber hits the road, it's hard. I remember, you know, I had cops come to the door, like I said, about the, uh, the mask. You know, that's when rubber hits the road. How are you going to act in that situation? How are you going to act when things get taken away from you? You read the lives of the saints. They didn't live in glorious places. They were hard. They were roughing it a lot of times. Life was rough. Like Rocky was saying, life isn't all sunshine and lollipops. 
There are some guys that had good life, good lives. They had all kinds of crosses. You reject the cross, you get something harder. We gotta embrace what's going on. Embrace the suck is what it, that military line. Embrace the suck. There was also a slogan: "Suffer in silence." A friend posted it. Was he te texted me or posted it? He mentioned that uh, uh, was it? They were when he was in the boot camp. They were treading water. He's and one of the guys is kicking. He's I hate it. When I played baseball, I hated that. It's Tuesday, Thursday mornings, six o'clock, and I was swimming for forty-five minutes. I was terrible at it, uh, but it got me in great shape. But anyway, treading water. Basically, I call it survival. <laughs> I call it trying not to drown. What are you doing? I'm not. I'm trying not to drown. Uh, and the guy and the the drill instructor said, uh, "Hey, I can hear you sighing. I can hear you breathing. Quiet. Suffer in silence." And no, nobody's dancing on our on the graves of anybody like DC. Again, they they got their uh, or Northern Virginia was it or in DC? One of the things Virginia, they uh, they you know really brought in consolidated all the churches and took away some of the churches. And there was a group that ended up taking a gym and made it into a made it, made it into a church basically, got an altar and things like that. Hey, good on them. They took advantage. They took the situation, made lemon out of lemonades in a sense. Instead of crying about it, complaining about it, they did something about it. To you know, what are we going to do? Okay, we got. And I know other groups. I'm not at liberty to mention who figured out other ways to get around what happened. Again, many of us like to go and sulk or make a video or tweet about our anger and things like that. Again, as Father says, you know, or even other guys like James Corbett. Why get off? And I it's, it's from a book and, and he does a podcast on why to get off get off of social media. He goes, because it brings your inner blank hole out uh, most of the times. So you see these fightings, liturgical fightings, people calling each other names that they would never, ever do in front of another human, talk bad about them behind their backs, etc. All of us have done it. Unfortunately, all of us have done it. Obviously, we got to stop doing that. We got to come better than that and hold back on that. Imagine someone's been in front of you and all that. And also imagine this Ecclesiastes. 740 says, is it 740? Yeah. Know thy end, and you shall never sin. As Alphonsus always wrote about that in his uh, preparation for death. So reparation is needed. Just like we talked about with priests uh, back in the day. How you know when a priest was leaving, a, how did they test if that was a real priest leaving a prison? They checked their knees, see if there was any calluses. So do we have calluses on our knees or calluses on our fingers and thumbs from tweeting and things like that? blogging, tweeting, you know, whatever. What are we doing? Are we promoting holiness and, you know, eternity? Because obviously we're not made for this world. We're made for heaven. So is our focus on earthly things or heavenly things? Are we too, you read the lives that are martyrs. Are we better than those guys? If not, let's become better. People worry about the papacy. There's been problems since the beginning. You, I mean, you've heard the whole story about the Napoleon's general saying that telling the cardinal, we're going to destroy your church. And the cardinal said, Good luck. We've been trying to do it for, you know, 1,700 years. What are you guys going to do? Good luck. <laughs> if we can't do it from the inside, you know, what, what do you think? What says you? How are you going to do it? And we have had popes that put other dead popes on thrones and thrown on, on their on chairs and condemn them to the fourth room of hell. Death, dead popes cut their fingers off, throw them in the Tiber and strip all the faculties off the priests they ordained. And then the next one, put them back. And the next one, take them away again. The next one, put them back. Imagine CNN, NBC, or Fox during those days. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's bad now. We, you know, 
The reason why you know it's you get bad stuff now is because it's instant news, twenty four seven, everywhere. You, at your fingertips, you can tell. Like you know, was two hundred years ago, we would never known there was you know the Italian vote was that happened yesterday. I mean, know it, know it in real time. No idea. What, you know, back in the day, people didn't know who the Pope was, much less their everyday tweets and everyday airplane, you know, mentions and things like that. So we just got to, you know, think locally and act locally in the Catholic level as well. You know, your parish, you know, there's, there's a parish down the street from me. They, on first Saturdays, Father leads them in, in the 15-minute uh, meditation on first Saturday. So they get everything done while they're there. And he also mentions that he goes, by the way, the confession thing, you're supposed to have that done before you receive communion. How many people think about that? They have it the opposite way. Even trash. We get to get cleaned up before you get the communion for that day to make sure you get that. So the challenge. I'm going to do it again this year, every day. Now, the night, the night adoration thing. Well, we'll get to, let's get into the reparation part. This is from Jesus King of Love. It's page 155. Uh, the subchapter is... Uh, knock in the name of Jesus, and it shall be open unto you. Uh, so he goes, you, if you have no doubt read and deeply appreciate the encyclical of His Holiness Pius XI on reparation, and you must have realized the necessity of consoling the heart of Jesus, you cannot better put into practice our Holy Father's desire than by carrying out night adoration in the home, and we could not have better interpreted, interpreted the Holy Father's wish had we organized this work after his encyclical, read again and ponder over that magnificent letter and you will find, even in tiny, tiny details, that we are in perfect harmony with the, whole, with the sovereign pontiff's views and advice. I would emphasize here, after his example, two grave sins for which the night adorers should make reparation in a special way. First, the revolt of pride, which is a lofty attitude of want of submission that non-Serbium I will not serve, which is so opposed to the obedience unto death, even unto the death of the cross, as of the Son of God. Second, the sin, secondly, the sin of sensuality, which is met with in the drawing rooms of distinguished people at the seaside, at the seaside, ocean beach, and even in our churches, under the form of immodest fashions, very often patronized by careless Catholic women who, by their shameless clothing or lack of it, are rear are are real sowers of mortal sin and ticket sellers of hell, or ticket sellers for hell. Most of the gravest sins are caused by this revolting indelicacy, and these fashionable Catholics heap up for themselves a crushing weight of responsibility against the hour of justice. They sow death along their path. They will reap divine vengeance. He goes on. We'll keep it less right now. He mentions a. Uh, Special intentions assigned to each hour from 9 to 8 a.m. 9 to 10, children and young people. 10 to 11, families where Christ is enthroned as king. 11 to 12, the Pope, uh, priests, and religious. 12 to 1, missionaries and heathen peoples. 1 to 2, heads of government, reparation for sins of revolt against lawful authorities. 2 to 3, worldly families. 3 to 4, the poor, sick, and tempted. Four to five students for the priesthood and novices. Five to six Catholic homes and their staffs. Six to seven the enemies of the Holy Church. Seven to eight the bad Catholics, heretics, and schismatics. He also mentions that each hour, as each hour chimes, the sisters who are doing this say five times, "Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, Thy Kingdom come." And once, "Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, may You be known, loved, and imitated." 
It's just, if you, have, if you don't have this book, you got to get it. Jesus King of Love. He also brings up back then, this is from Firebrand. Uh, do Starts out with, you know, if, if you don't know what this is about, people were going to uh, Eucharistic Adoration to such an extreme level, not extreme isn't bad, a high level, that the churches were packed and nobody could get in anymore because he, he, he was preaching throughout the world. He had thrown with it a sacred art. If you want the connection, that image you see right there, I have it right here. That's the that's the uh, Gabriel Garcia Moreno, Christ the King, sacred heart image that he had uh, penned in France when he went to France and heard about what happened with the Sacred Heart uh, apparitions to Sister Mary Margaret and how France rejected it and the French Revolution that came from it. And he was terrified that it would happen to Ecuador. So Garcia was the president of Ecuador. If you haven't seen the podcast, we talked about it with David Rodriguez. And so he goes, he has somebody in France draw that image. And then he made that as the banner for the, when he consecrated Ecuador to the Sacred Heart and led processions, reparation, etc. And he brought peace into the into the death. All that kicked out the Protestants, kicked out the heretics, etc. He was ended up killed by the Freemasons. So they ended up, as David brings up, uh, they they were trying to destroy Garcia's body. So they hid it, and it's now on display down there in uh, Quito. And they also tried to do that with the image. So Father Mateo. When he was young, he was, uh, I think it was, he just, it was after he was ordained, he, he, was, he got into the priesthood or got into the religious life in the mid-teens. He was a young pup. And he went into the attic when they found the image. It was basically like in mothballs, dusty and all that. They asked him, what, was this? Why, what is this? Why is this up here? And he said the Masons were trying to get that image and tried to destroy it. So they hid it. And you, you probably heard the last podcast that he put it up on the wall. There was a major earthquake, and that was the only wall left standing. The image was on that wall. So he thought that as a uh, sign to use as the banner to preach the preach the, the Sacred Heart at Rome. And he preached, he did. He went to Pius X, and before then, he, got the, he, he went up to Parley, and uh, they, the nuns thought he was going to die. He was so exhausted. He was just frail like this. And... So he finally gets an audience with Pius X and he asks about, you know, permission to do this. You know, promote the sacred art. He goes, no, no, no. I'll give you permission. I command you to go do it. So he loved that idea. So, I mean, Chicago. He, Mateo calls Chicago the, the city of the sacred heart. Imagine that today. Can you, can you think of Chicago being the city of the sacred heart? No. But it was in this. And that's not too far off. We're talking you know, first couple centuries, you know, Pius X, early 1900s. So, so many people were doing adoration at church that they wanted to do something else extra because they can't get in. So, night adoration at the home. He put up an image. He, re he recommended uh, Moreno's, uh, Garcia Moreno's uh, Sacred Heart image. I like it. I didn't know what it was at first. I had this book for a lot of my life and I didn't even know what the image was until... I started reading Garcia Moreno a little bit and then found out about the whole story. Everything's connected. It's beautiful how that is. And the rays are on, the rays of this heart go on to Ecuador if you see that. And uh, so, I guess, always more daring. In October, he proposed to Christian families a means to assure adoration not only one night each month. So, 
like I said, I one parish that does 15 minutes meditation after on first Saturdays. They also do on the vigil the first Friday, all night adoration at the parish. I don't know how many have done, but you do you can do this at home too. One night, usually it's the first Saturday, the vigil the first Friday, and that's why you see you know, he writes about it in here the Catholic Action League with people like uh, Blessed Frasati and uh, uh, Blessed uh, Giuseppe and. He talks about all these you know, thousands of Catholic men that would go for hours and hours and hours a night on Thursday nights to do adoration and reparation for, uh, to God. And uh, so people wanted to do this. So you could do it all night. You could do it all, you know, one night a week, one night a month. He recommended multiple nights at least. But October, he pushed for every day. And he goes, again, not only for one night each, each month, but every night of the month. In this manner, the adoration would be perpetual. And he writes, Once again, I issue a challenge in the name and for the glory of my king and your friend. What will you give in response? Oh, what a splendid feast of love will be the 30 nights of the month given to Jesus in these privileged Bethanies. Now think about it. All right, all this problem's going on. What can you do about it? You can complain. You can complain as Jocko said engage and how do we engage catholic how do we engage we have the weapons we got to use them reparation works as he says about uh this one lady uh, story is the conversion i think it's in this book she was doing all night adoration at her home and her parents saw that they were coming home one night they will fall away lukewarmers and her dad sees the light on in her room and goes up and sees if she's sick, if something's going on. She's been doing it for a while, years maybe, and he just noticed it. And uh, she tells him, well, Dad, I was doing this for you and Mom's souls so that you guys could go back to the Mass. Think about how many people haven't gone to Mass, back to Mass in the last year or two, you know, since you know churches were closed and non-essential. How many have left? Obviously, the trad churches have. Even before that, this... How many traditional churches were more booming? It took that and TC to get people coming to the parishes. So, I mean, most trans weren't out there evangelizing. Don't get that. I, mean, I know plenty that either shared a parish, shared a parish with the with the local diocese of Novus Ordo, or they just weren't growing. Only a few were growing. Now all of them are growing mostly. But it took two big events for people to do that. Shouldn't have to do that. Maybe like like Father Abernathy said, God slapping us across the face, throwing his water on us, trying to get us awake. He goes, in one year, he received 24,000 members. One year. Two years later, it counted 42,000. And the following year, 124,000. Adoration became perpetual in 16 countries. Can we get that in 16 states? 16 cities? 16 parishes? Parish borders. But it is well to note that Father insisted on quality rather on quantity. This extract from a circular letter written in March 1930 show how much he insisted on this point. I am preparing a special article for you, dear apostles, concerning the recent initiated nocturnal adoration that lamp of love and reparation kindled in the Bethanies of the Sacred Heart. But first, let me tell you what great consolations have been offered to this divine heart by so many imitators of St. Margaret Mary who watch and pray like sentinels while the master undergoes his agony in Gethsemane. 
At present, it is not. It is enough. At present, it is enough for you to know that the original little group of night ador adorers in the home has now increased to nearly a hundred thousand. And be it noticed that in this number there are none of those half and half Christians everywhere to be found who would only spoil a movement that requires a love that requires a love strong in sacrifice and strong as death itself. The great crowd of so-called Christians know nothing of this penitential army waging war to save the world in union with the agonizing heart of Jesus. Our strength after the grace of God lies in choosing specially, specially devoted souls for this work of reparation. The greater number are indeed the best friends of the King of Love. Once again, I send forth my appeal amidst the downfall into which Satan threatens to draw the Christian home. I send it forth in the name of Jesus crucified, flouted, driven away, not only by persecutors, but also by thousands of unfaithful friends. Secretaries of the enthronement, I address myself very specially to you. Take to heart this campaign, which is the splendid crowning of our work. Seek out zealously, but with discretion, yet another living lamp willing to watch lovingly while the master falls beneath the blows of cruel ungrateful men. Sin gives him no respite. Let there be no respite in our reparation. Let us vanquish hate by love. To close this simple yet important lesson on the supernatural apostolate, I repeat what you have read and meditated in my little book, Jesus King of Love. Become saints, dear apostles, so that you may be docile instruments, bringing forth much fruit for the dear master who loves to make use of scraps of straw, such as we are. Let us above and before all, sanctify ourselves, filling our hearts with divine life, becoming first reservoirs, then later channels of grace, as he would have us be. Oh, never forget, fruitfulness is nothing else but the radiance of sanctity. Love Jesus, love him passionately, that you may become saints. Then, whether by speech or silence, by activity or sufferings, you will be true friends and apostles of the sacred heart of Jesus, in whose love I remain ever yours devotely and gratefully, Father Mateo. He mentions about a handful, you know, like, uh, huh. here's one for you. It's the initiative corresponds complete to our own vocation as religious of repar uh, rep rep reparative and perpetual adoration. Make families understand that they will be so much the better adorers as they are devoted to reparation. Reparation is, in fact, one of the characteristics of this movement. Here is a work that carries out my entire thought, Pius XI will soon tell him, about night adoration. It is the complete realization of my encyclical on reparation. This is an audience he had on January 20th, 1928. Night adoration in the home is thus a creation, without doubt the most daring of Father Matteo. Pius XI had no doubts about this. In his discourse on May 29, 1930, addressed to young women, young Italian women, he congratulates them for participating in night adoration in the home, that exquisite and delicate act of piety and of Christian love for the heart of Jesus, a delicate act of devotion. He added, to start which was needed an apostolic heart like that of Father Matteo. In 1959, the number of adorers approached a million. 
Heading the honor roll was the United States with 300,000. India had 189,000. Ireland, 135,000. Italy, 60,000. Spain, 49,000. And the number has been steadily increasing. You read more. Get Firebrand. Like I said, hopefully somebody will uh, republish that one. And think about, this is from uh, The Secret of the Holy Face, because when I do this adoration, I put the Holy Face image up. And it's in the, I mean, I have a Sacred Heart statue in the room and the holy image, one of the relics that Father Carney sent me. And uh, yeah, I mean, just like this is the, this is the preface. It only takes a few good men to overcome many evil men. Five, pursue a hundred. hundred, pursue 10,000. That's this from, then she took this from the life of Sister Mary St. Pierre. The Bible is inerrant. And here we have odds increasing exponentially as more good men join ranks. This means the more men in the state of grace, the more God will take down evil. For example, five overtaken 100 is 1 to 20 odds. 100 overtaken 10,000 is 1 to 100 odds. So would it be not be exponential growth of odds? What does this mean? With an increase of men in the state of grace joining the phalanx of the Archconfraternity of the Holy Face, and you can think about this for adoration and reparation too, the odds against evil agents increase exponentially. Without getting too deep in numbers, would it be safe to say that if there were one million men in the state of grace enrolled and engaged in the devotion of the Holy Face, that this would suffice for good to have power to overthrow evil in the world? With seven billion, seven billion people estimated on earth, the odds would be one in 7,000. God has been known to put forth small armies to take down massive evil empires. Think of... Uh, what's his face? Uh, Gideon. He went with 300. The original 300. You know, we don't need, it'd be good to have a million. We don't need a million. We just need, it's, it's kind of like the Sam Adams thing. It doesn't take the majority to change the world, but it just takes a small minority, hell-bent, hell-bent on setting brush fires in people's minds. You just need a small minority of, <laughs> if everybody listening was that way, you know, we're going to do this challenge. And here, remember, we brought up this, uh, the bad stuff, remember? Uh, here's this, when we get the, sorry about that, Rocky, and get out of your way. Here's a part of a, this from a transcript of Father Raftus TLM Cancellation uh, Amelie. Where'd it go? Uh, it will be well, it, it will, it may be well just to take a few days to reflect and pray and ask our Lord and Our Lady to console us and then instruct us what to do. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and not let the devil attack us by filling us with fear. How much fear have you heard in the last two, three years? 21 years. I mean, 9-11 Emergency Act was just resigned this year. They keep pounding the fear. They got to keep you keep you in fear because the state thrives off fear. Uh, Fulton Sheen writes about that. Fear and anger is the fuel for communism. What happened the last couple of years? Nothing but fear. I didn't get three cops sent to my play, sent to my uh, the hospital room because they were upset about it. it I was questioning, like in that movie uh, Bugs Life with the ants. You get one ant standing up to this, maybe millions more. We outnumber them. 
And if they outnumber, if we ever figure that out, we will dominate that. We have to reject the fear. Devil plays in troubled waters, as, as uh, St. Aloysius Gonzaga says. The battle between God and Satan is in our hearts. If we are obedient, the Catholic virtue. Now, I know there's people that are posted out that Freemasons were going to use uh, holy obedience against the church to bring it down. Well, what is the answer? Is the answer taking up the vice of disobedience? I'm asking for a friend. So if we have holy obedience, those are the tools that God gives us to, to use. You stick with those tools. You don't drop your weapons and pick up the enemy's weapon and use it against the enemy. It goes back to uh, you know, the art of war. If you know yourself and know your enemy, you'll win. If you don't know your enemy and you know yourself, you got you know, you might have a small chance. But you don't know either, you got no chance. We use the weapons we got, even though it they might not in our minds work. Look, David, you didn't think David's weapon, you know, a rock was going to take down a Goliath. It did. If we are obedient, then we still po steal power from the devil who wants us to be divided. Don't let the enemy make things worse. The demonic will attack our weaknesses in every way at this time. We are to pray, Jesus, I trust in you. We should reject and renounce any hatred. St. Pio, who had, this feast day was a couple of days ago, had an eight-year term of not being able to celebrate Mass publicly, was obedient, and he was victorious. He didn't go around saying, let tell, tell Rome to go pound sand. I'm going to do it my way. Do we sound like this? I hope not. And I know that's not popular to say, and I won't get a lot of clicks or applause for that. And no one's going to ask me to do any speeches or anything on that. But we got it. That's a Catholic virtue. Let me read John Climacus, Latter Divine Ascent. Step, step four is the uh, one on obedience. Chapter, or not chapter, paragraph 110. I will not be silent about something which is not right to leave in silence, lest I should inhumanely keep it to myself what ought to be made known. The famous John of Sabat told me things worth hearing, and that he was detached and above all falsehood, and free from words and deeds of evil. You know from your own experience, Holy Father. This man told me, quote, In my monastery in Asia, for that is where the good man came from, there was a certain elder who was extremely careless and undisciplined. I say this without passing judgment on him, but simply to state the truth. He obtained, I do not know how, a disciple, a youth called Achaicus, simple-hearted but prudent in thought. And he endured so much from this elder that to many people it will perhaps seem incredible. For the elder tormented him daily, not only with insults and indignities, but even with blows. But his patience was not mere senseless endurance. And so seeing him daily in wretched plight like the lowest slave, I would ask him when I met him, What is the matter, brother Achaicus? How are you today? And he would at once show me a black eye or a scarred neck or head. But knowing that he was a worker, I would say to him, Well done, well done, endure, and it will be for your good. Having done nine years, with this pitiless elder, he departed to the Lord. Five days after his burial, in the cemetery of the fathers, Achaicus' master went to a certain elder living there and said to him, Father, brother Achaicus is dead. As soon as the elder heard this, he said, Believe me, elder, I do not believe it. The other replied, Come and see. 
The elder at once rose and went to the cemetery with the master of the blessed ascetic, and he called as to a living person to him who was truly alive in his falling asleep, and said, Are you dead, brother Acacius? And the good doer of obedience, showing his obedience even after his death, replied to the great elder, How is it possible, father, for a man who is a doer of obedience to die? Then the elder, who had been Achaicus' master, became terrified and fell on his face in tears. Afterwards, he asked the abbot of the Laura for a cell near the tomb and lived in it the valley, always saying to the fathers, I have committed murder. And it seemed to me, Father John, that the one who spoke to the dead man was the great John himself, for that blessed soul told me another story, as if it were about someone else when it was really about himself, as I was afterwards about to learn for certain. Well, I guess the moral of the story is, with even the sermon beforehand, is we use our weapons. We don't use the devil enemies, the devil weapons. Stick stick to your guns. Stay true to the church. Don't leave. Don't abandon. Stay. Keep the joy. Keep the hope. It is a virtue of hope. Keep it. And as Garanger writes in the uh, uh, Peter and Paul's feast day in what chapter is the epistle, the commentary in the epistle where you hear about the imprisonment of Peter. It, he writes saying this little hut praying hope against hope for uh, for the liber liberation of uh, Peter, the Pope, all of a sudden was more powerful than the entire army that held the Pope. And he goes, uh, and sometimes you need to send an angel to wake up the Pope, by the way. So wake, wake up Peter. So we have to do that. A reparation is needed. Not condemnation, not disobedience. Sticking, through, sticking to the church. We will survive this. We will outlast them. The, hey, remember, just, just by looking at their eyeball test, they're old. They will die. Hang in there. Keep the faith alive. Keep the joy alive. Promote the good, the true, the beautiful. Educate as many people as you can. Evangelize as many people as you can. And when you get beat up, say good. Take it. Maybe they'll change like Brother Achaicus did to this elder. Maybe all these beatings, the uh, elders of our days might see it and say, I was murderers and convert them. Maybe we'll die before it all changes. You do it for your kids. I don't expect it all to be, you know, sunshine and lollipops for us, but I do clown plan, do everything else, news from the pew. It's for the kids. Get the message out there. Hopefully get people that are well more connected than I activated to some kind of change. But let's gather our Bethany's together. The month of October, I will be doing it from October 1st to the last day. All night, not all night adoration, one hour a night. Pick it, pick the hour. It's a sacrifice because you're tired. You want to do other things. Even you might want to read. You may want to watch TV. You may want to do something else. You want to sleep. Sacrifice that up to God. Maybe we can uh, storm and sue heaven for better uh, better days ahead. As Father Mateo says, there's a price for everything. We got to pay that price. God love you.